welcome to mini episode 148 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have five spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from the 11th of October 2021. And story number one comes from Christina. I was working in a hotel cleaning rooms when I was around 14. There were two sections of the hotel, one older and one was an add-on. The day this happened, I was working in the older part of the hotel on the second floor. I was in one of the rooms cleaning the bathroom. My back was facing the bathroom door as I was on my hands and knees cleaning the floor. I heard someone walk behind me, so I said hello and figured it was one of the other girls coming to take a break with me. But I turned around and no one was there. I didn't really think anything of it because it's an old hotel and there were often noises. I continued cleaning. I went to go into a vacant room to clean and I knocked and used my keycard to enter and I saw a man sitting on the couch. So I said, oh sorry sir and left the room. We had clipboards with a list of rooms telling us if they were vacant or if they were staying another night. This room was supposed to be vacant. So I went back in and no one was in the room. After this I had the feeling as if someone was watching me. As soon as I passed the entrance to the newer half on the second floor, the feeling went away. I went to another co-worker to tell her what had happened and she said that that stuff happened all the time and that's why she didn't work on that floor. She told me that she was working in the same rooms that I was and she had the TV on listening to the music channel and all of a sudden it changed to cartoons. She didn't really think anything of it and changed it back but as soon as she did that, it once again changed to cartoons. So then she started freaking out and turned the TV off. And the TV turned back on and it was cartoons again. Ever since the day that this happened to me, I couldn't work on that floor by myself. There was a hearing impaired lady that worked there while I was. And she would always ask me about the little girl hanging out in the hotel all the time. I had no idea what she was talking about because I'd never seen a little girl. We all thought she was the one that was hanging out on the floor since that would explain the cartoons. The ghost would never really hurt you. We learned that if you said loudly, I can't play today, please come back tomorrow. The feeling of someone following you would go away. I was working on the newer side of the hotel and I always heard keys shaking as if someone was walking down the hallway. I would check and no one would be there. Right around the same time every day the keys would shake and the vending machine would sound as if it was dispensing snacks, and it never was. A lady told me there used to be a lady that worked there, and she would use the vending machine every day at the same time, and she passed away around six years before. I wasn't really scared of this, as it never gave me a weird feeling. My mom had worked at the hotel for around 20 years, and she was working the night shift one night, and some kids came to the front desk and asked if she could take the batteries out of this toy because they couldn't get it to turn off. So she did, and the kids went to walk away and it continued to talk. I don't even know how to explain this. I definitely think there's a reason why we hear so many stories about haunted hotels, aside from the fact that they're just old buildings. Hotels are very strange places sometimes, like, unfortunately a lot of people take their own lives in hotels. They're also places of great like emotional turmoil where people go and they run away or... They have illicit affairs there. So a lot of stuff happens in hotels that you kind of don't really think about when you're just casually staying for a night or two. So it makes sense that they would be that they would be haunted. I've had friends over the years that have worked in hotels and have worked cleaning hotels and being porters in hotels. And let me tell you, 
The stories they had to tell about stuff that was left behind in hotel rooms or things that they came across in hotel rooms, they are not for the faint-hearted. And story number two comes from Rosalie. This is an ongoing story. I've lived in the same house on and off for 10 years. Originally, my mother bought the house when I was two, when we moved from London. She was newly single and wanted a safe place for us to live. It's a small Victorian terrace by a park. As a child, I have a distinct memory of paranormal activity in the house. The feeling of never being alone. One time, one of my childhood toys started playing music all by itself continuously when I was being bad. The most terrifying memory I have happened when I was around seven. I was lying in bed when I looked over the chimney breast in my room. Most Victorian houses have chimneys running through them and our house was no exception. Both bedrooms have black ornamental fireplaces built into the chimneys. I looked over to the chimney and on God I saw faces, four of them, materialising on the chimney breast. I remember being frozen, terrified in my bed and I just shut my eyes and hid under the covers. Nothing happened after that and two years later we moved away to live with my stepdad and the house got rented out until I moved in with my husband when I was 21. I fell pregnant after living there for a year and we lost the baby. My mental health took a massive decline. I stopped working and spent my days sat in bed or in the front room crying. This was during the 2020 lockdown, so my husband was home too to take care of me. I was heavily medicated and can hardly remember those months. I got pregnant again in October and this pregnancy stuck, but so did the negative feeling in the house. There were always noises, bumps in the night, seeing things in my peripheral vision. I would hear noises from my brother-in-law's room when he was away with his girlfriend, and I'd always hear noises from the box room. As a child, I'd always kept that room locked. I don't know why. I must have had a feeling even then. Our daughter was due in July, and in March we decorated her room. I remember that day lots of things went wrong with the decorating, but it was finally done. Again, not much happened, until our daughter was born. I remember the night we brought her home. I had had a caesarean, so I was moving slowly and in pain, but I was insistent on changing her nappy and doing as much as I could. I remember taking her into the nursery to change her nappy, and I had the strangest feeling come over me, like there was someone stood in the doorway behind me, but I could hear that everyone was downstairs. Then the staring started. I've always heard that babies, children and animals are more susceptible to seeing spirits. Newborn babies can't see much, but by the same token, they also don't focus on much. Well, Nellie did, but only in the nursery. She would stare just past my shoulder when I changed her, and if she was crying, she would suddenly stop and stare. As she got older, this didn't stop, and now she is four months, can see perfectly well, and still does it, but now she cries when she does. She can be as calm as anything, and as soon as we go in there, she completely loses her mind. I decided to write all of this down due to what happened the other night. I had taken Nellie to the nursery after her bath. My husband was at work on a late shift, and my brother-in-law was out with his girlfriend, so we were alone in the house. We were in the nursery, and Nellie had kicked off as usual staring over my shoulder. Normally this bothered me, but I could deal with it. But this night, something was different. 
Nellie was apoplectic, bright red, tears streaming down her cheeks. She's a very calm kid most of the time, and I suddenly started to panic. I have clinically diagnosed anxiety anyway, but this wasn't a panic attack. I started to sweat profusely, and my head was telling me to scream out, grab Nellie and run out of the house. I could see something out of the corner of my eye in the corner of the room, something dark. I finished changing Nellie and tried to stay calm. I picked her up and turned to face the corner of the room. Of course there was nothing there, but I could feel eyes on me. I started to cry and ran back into our bedroom and slammed the door behind me and locked it. Ever since that happened, every time I go into that room I feel panicked. The temperature in there always changes between our room and that one. My husband is a massive sceptic who does not believe in things like this, which is why I have to change both my name and my daughter's for this account. We are currently saving to buy a house, but that won't happen for a while, so I'm resigned to be in this house for a good few years to come. What scares me more is that my daughter will be talking in the next year or so, and I really don't want to hear her say what she's seeing that makes her so upset. I don't blame you for being apprehensive because I would be feeling pretty apprehensive too because there's so much different stuff going on in the house between feelings but actual physical things like bangs and crashes and all that stuff and then having your child respond in that kind of way. And they do say like some, you know, I've I've read stories and we've dealt with stories before that say that a new baby coming into the house can cause energy to become more pronounced. So I hope that when the time comes where she starts talking, that it's all, you know, lovely stuff and definitely not talking about her imaginary friend or anything along those lines. Again, I did not make that situation any better. And story number three comes from Bushra. This is kind of related to my story, which was read out on the number 78 mini episode. For context, my paranormal experience in that story had taken place in my paternal aunt's house. And in this story, she'd come to visit my family. She'd been experiencing poltergeist-like activities at home. So she had come intending to visit a Muslim priest who looked into the paranormal and lived in a small village near our city. I found out from her that her costly necklace, which she adored, had disappeared from inside a locked cupboard. She and her daughter-in-law were quite sure that they had kept the necklace safely inside the locker and there had been no sign of any theft. She was sure it was a poltergeist or a gin's doing because she often lost and found jewellery inside the house. Here are a few things that she told me happened at the priest's place. There was a method to discover if her house was actually inhabited by gins. Essentially, the priest measured the length of the bottom hem of her kurta, which is Indian ethnic wear, and marked it on a table with a piece of chalk. I recall her telling me that he then chanted some verses from the Quran and measured the hem again. The hem had suddenly become longer when it was measured against the originally marked length on the table. This may seem absurd, but there were three witnesses to this and I'm pretty sure the priest had better things to do than just play stupid tricks on people because he did not do this for money. Long story short, my auntie started reciting certain verses from the Quran daily at home as advised by the priest, and within a few days, she found her necklace in the same locker. 
Another reason for her visit was because her son and daughter-in-law had been trying for many years but had been unsuccessful in having a baby, considering both were reproductively fit. I asked her why she thought that could be possibly related to something paranormal and then she told me the incident of another couple. This couple had the same problem, so they went to Mr. G, a local paranormal expert, psychic or whatever you want to call him. Auntie knew Mr. G, who himself had told her about this episode. When the couple went to his place, he took the woman to another room after sensing something weird and told her to perform some rituals to have a baby. The woman was confused and asked Mr. G the reason behind these practices and her unsuccessful pregnancies. Mr. G hesitantly told her that he knew her story. He said to her that before getting married, she had a baby with a previous lover, but she drowned the baby in a secluded lake because of the taboo around this issue in the culture. It was actually her dead infant who was not letting her get pregnant with another baby. And guess what? She was able to have a baby later. I love hearing stories from other cultures and customs, especially when it comes to holy people who are helping people with their paranormal activity or paranormal experiences. I think it's so fascinating, all these different ways and means of trying to understand what's happening in somebody's house and trying to rid them of it. I would love to know what the logic was behind putting the hem on the table, because there will definitely have been a reason for it. Like, we're doing this because it shows this, and I'd love to know what what the thought process is behind it and what it what it shows that it's longer after saying a few prayers from the Quran. And I can't pretend to know anything about the complexities of conceiving, not conceiving, what that would do to somebody's psyche if you're trying to get pregnant and it's just not happening. However, I wonder if the placebo of feeling absolved from that that act that she had done previously made her made it easier for her to conceive but like I said I ain't no gynecologist and I'm also not a paranormal expert so what do I know and story number four comes from Scarlett at the time of recalling this story I'm 31 years old I have a firm belief system about life after death and ghosts and spirits that is of great importance to me many spooky and supernatural things have happened to me and I'd like to share my first ever encounter with the supernatural with you all. In 2013, when I was 22 years old, I was volunteering in an AIDS orphanage in the Cambodian countryside. The land on which the orphanage was built belongs to a pagoda and was previously a hospice for AIDS victims in the 1990s and 2000s, before it was converted into an orphanage for the remaining surviving children. And the land, therefore, has an abundance of spiritual energy and has been the place of pain, suffering and death for many decades. We arrived on Saturday and began our volunteer duties immediately. All was going well, but I was really struggling to sleep at night. With hindsight, it was mainly due to the fact that we were in the middle of the dry season in Cambodia, the hottest month of the year. But I also felt so uneasy in the room that we were sleeping in, I shared a dorm room with my friend and there were two single beds both pushed against the wall on opposite sides of the room and I slept in the bed in the corner diagonally opposite the door. It got to Tuesday and in my sleep deprived state I mentioned to my friend that I didn't think I could stay any longer if I wasn't sleeping as I couldn't be of much help. 
That night, as usual, I was really struggling to doze off. At some point, I must have fallen asleep, as I suddenly woke up really abruptly, feeling the urgent sensation to pee. As I started to come to and get ready to get out of bed to go to the bathroom and relieve myself, I was completely struck down with fear. To this day, I have never felt a fear like this. It was indescribable. I could feel someone lying down in my bed next to me. I was lying on my stomach with my head turned to the side, so I was looking at my friend. The person in my bed was lying in between me and the wall. I could feel the weight of them. They were small and lying on their back with their head turned to face the back of mine, and I could feel their vision burrowing into the back of my head so intensely. I lay there for what felt like a lifetime, trying to muster up the energy to leap out of bed and out the door. Finally, I did, and I ran to the bathroom. After using the toilet and composing myself, I returned to my room only to find the bed empty, with no sign of any intruders. I was so scared that I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. The next day, I moved around in a total haze, trying to decipher what had happened, but it was all too much to understand. That night, after the rest of the volunteers had retired to their dorms, I was left alone with the founder of the hospice, Wayne. In my desperation to shed some light on what the fuck had happened to me, I decided to tell Wayne about my encounter the night before. I started by saying, Wayne, I think there was someone in my bed last night. To which Wayne immediately replied with, Oh yeah, that was probably... Now unfortunately, I've forgotten the name that Wayne mentioned but I do remember the first name started with a K and the second with an S, and for the sake of the story, I shall use the name KS. So Wayne told me, oh yeah, that was probably KS. To say that I was shocked was an understatement. Who was KS, and how did Wayne so adamantly know that this was the person who was in my bed? At this point, I would like to add that I was not into ghosts and the supernatural at all. I had no interest in it, and I certainly did not believe in the afterlife in any form. So, of course, I asked Wayne to give me some more information about this KS character. Wayne proceeded to tell me the story of this young boy who was born HIV positive in a small village in the countryside. Due to poverty and misinformation about AIDS, he was shunned by his family and community and left in a box on the side of the road as a baby. Luckily, someone found him in time and took him to the orphanage, where he received medication and learned how to walk again, and more importantly, how to trust people. Wayne said that he was a relatively healthy child, who loved sports and had a positive future ahead of him. One day he contracted a bad case of diarrhoea and had to go into the hospital to be put on a drip, just as a precaution. Wayne took him in, got him settled, and told KS that he was going to pop into the city to run some errands and that he would be back within a few hours but Wayne ended up taking longer than a few hours, and when he returned around four hours later, KS had passed away. Wayne was shocked and confused, as were the doctors. There was no clear reason as to why he had died, as the drip had ensured he wasn't dehydrated. Wayne then told me that he believed KS had willed his own death, as he had thought that he had been abandoned by Wayne, and the pain and the trauma that had caused him effectively killed him. So after digesting this information, I turned to Wayne and I asked him, So why did KS come into my bed last night? Why did he visit me? Wayne said he believed that KS wanted some attention and recognition. 
as three days after KS's passing, another young boy had died in the orphanage. The other boy had a strong relationship with Wayne and the other volunteers, and Wayne admitted that this boy's death had dominated the attention of everyone's, and KS's death had been forgotten. After this intense and mind-blowing conversation, I decided to head to bed, not really knowing what to expect. What happened next is a bit of a blur, but I vaguely remember feeling a presence in the room with me at some point in the middle of the night. I remember stirring and sensing someone standing in the room by the dorm door. This time, I didn't feel that surge of dread and unfathomable fear, but I felt like this presence was feeling very shy and sheepish. Still, I was super spooked and shut my eyes as tight as I could get them. I said in my head, If that's you, KS, I see you, I acknowledge you and you are loved. I don't remember what happened next as I must have drifted off to sleep pretty swiftly. After that occurrence on the Wednesday night, I slept so soundly in that room, I was never visited by the ghost of KS again. Oh, that one got me right in the feelings, that poor child. And you know what? There was so much misinformation and misunderstanding and rumours about HIV and AIDS that that kind of thing happened all the time where people were so frightened of people who had HIV and AIDS. And then in the wind-up of that, you have this poor child who's abandoned by his family, feels like he's been abandoned by the person who took him in, and then feels like his death was overshadowed by somebody else's. That's hard. That's hard. And you know what? If I was that kid, I'd probably be coming back and haunting people too. And story number five comes from Tammy. When I saw the nearly seven foot tall person outside my bedroom window, not once but twice within a week, but my dad did not see anything outside when he went to look, I knew that something was wrong. Then when I saw a girl that my mother had babysat, who had died a week earlier, it scared the crap out of me. I was older when I encountered the next phenomena, I was about six. One of our friends had died in a really tragic car accident. He had been drinking and had fallen asleep at the wheel before rolling his car down an embankment. Another friend of ours was going to go out that weekend, and the dead friend came to me in a dream. He showed me what happened to him, and the other friend was in the car with him. They both died. It freaked me out. I was able to talk the other person out of going, but it also made it to where I almost didn't go to my first friend's funeral, because I was convinced he was going to come out of his coffin after me. After that, I always felt like there were spirits following me, or at least nearby wherever I went. Not that I was protected, nor that I was threatened per se, just that they were there watching me. When I was 11, and I never told anyone this, I was approached by a paedophile. That part people knew. He propositioned me, but at the same time I felt like I was being held back, being protected by a presence. So much so that I was able to verbally attack the man and get away. I never saw the paedophile again, and somehow I always knew that something had happened to him. When I was older, after my mother had died and my father and stepmother and I had moved to a new place, I thought I was finally free. Boy, was I wrong. I lived in a small town in the middle of nowhere in my home state. There were lots of ghost stories around the area. I was always a fan of the occult and the supernatural, but this was freaky. There was an abandoned house next to the high school, and it had been said to be 
the old one-room schoolhouse from the early days of the town. People had died there and it was boarded up. I can attest to it that the building was haunted. Every time I passed it, the air temperature dropped significantly and the sounds of whispers and cold laughter could be heard. The thing that terrified me was the entity that followed me home from who knows where. There were lots of haunted places in that town, and this thing was evil, pure evil. It took a blessing from my priest to get it to go away. The next time I saw anything was my mother when I was 15. She was standing in my living room staring at me when I was getting ready for school one morning. It was completely out of the blue, freaky and disturbing since she had been dead since I was 13. The instances of activity dropped off a bit at this point, but they did not go away altogether, I just got better at ignoring them. Though the night of my senior prom, I know I was told, guided by an unseen hand as it were, to where my boyfriend and his girlfriend were. I guess most people call it intuition or awareness, but I've always known when there were malevolent or neutral entities present. Most people dream their experiences. I've never dreamt my experiences, except that once. And I've always been in touch with the supernatural in the waking world. When I hear stories like this, it makes me so glad that I have absolutely, clearly no sensitivity to the spirit world whatsoever. And although I know those spirits have really helped you out in different ways, like protecting you from somebody with incredibly bad intentions... And showing you dreams and visions of things that might happen. There's also the negative part of it too. With the like evil entities following you around. And having to get a blessing from a priest to get rid of it and stuff. Nah it's not for me. And I'm glad you've gotten better at ignoring it. So you can kind of live a normal life as it were. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Christina, Rosalie, Bushra, Scarlett and Tammy for sending in your stories. Remember the last story came from the 11th of October 2021. And if you would like to learn anything about Real Life Ghost Stories, you can do so by checking out reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can also sign up to Patreon if you want to get access to heaps of extra content. That is patreon.com forward slash realifeghoststories. The link is in the description of this episode. And on that note, I shall see you next time. <laughs>